Welcome to Sound Practice, the business podcast for physicians and healthcare leaders, hosted by Mike Sakopoulos and produced by the American Association for Physician Leadership. We've all seen the statistics on physician burnout. Life from the patient's perspective is not much better. Few would argue the healthcare system in the United States is functioning well. Our healthcare system has descended to such a level of dysfunction as to result in moral injury to some providers simply trying to take care of patients. Take a deep breath. What follows next is unpleasant and of critical importance. Next on Sound Practice. Wendy Dean is a psychiatrist. She's worked for the Department of Defense and is author of If I betray these words, moral injury in medicine and why it is so hard for clinicians to put patients first. Wendy Dean, welcome to Sound Practice. Oh, thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. Dr. Dean, as you know, this is the podcast of the American Association for Physician Leadership. Could you describe your path as a physician leader? Uh, It was winding (laughs) to start. Uh, So I started in residency as a surgery resident. And after three years decided that I, as much as I loved surgery, um, incorporating all the other things I have interest in in my life was probably not going to be compatible with that lifestyle. So I went and worked in an emergency room in rural Vermont, New Hampshire for a couple of years and decided that psychiatry was probably the thing that was going to hold my interest the most for the longest. So I went back and got board certified in psychiatry. I practiced for about a decade, trying every permutation of a business model that I could come up with to be able to practice in a way that I thought was good for patients and that was sustainable for me. And ultimately, I couldn't find one that worked in my rural area. So I decided that instead of compromising my practice, I would step away from clinical practice and I went into the, and started working for the army, Um, not in uniform, but um, I managed research funding oversight. And so I got the benefit of seeing clinicians across the country who are at the tops of their fields, doing really interesting things, trying to rebuild body parts. And what was fascinating about that was I got to see the back end of research, of medical innovation, of reimbursement, and how we put this machinery of medicine all together for the benefit of our patients. Um, And so in, in that position, I was lucky enough to be trying to shepherd these innovations through into clinical practice. Um, including hand, regenerative medicine and hand and face transplants. So it was kind of the very cutting edge of, of medicine. Um, but then I moved, you know, af- after almost a decade, um, I realized that I wasn't going to be able to move that any further. And so I went and worked for a large nonprofit supporting military medicine in a wider sphere. So it wasn't just regenerative medicine and hand and face transplants. It was also vaccine, vaccines and other sort of infectious disease strategies, et cetera. Um, and 
while I was there, again, I got to see more clinicians in more capacities and to see what their everyday life was like. Not just at one hospital, but at hospitals across the country and in fact, sometimes across the world. And it allowed me to see the patterns that were developing and particularly in the US. And what I what I saw over that decade from about 2011 to 2000, it wasn't quite a decade, 2018, 19, before we wrote our first article, was that clinicians were struggling more. And they were saying, I love my patients. I love the medicine I practice. What is grinding me down is everything that gets between me and my patient. Dr. Dean, what's a moral injury? Moral injury is coined by Jonathan Shea, is betrayal by a legitimate authority in a high-stakes situation. All three of those components were required. It was later expanded by Brett Litz to encompass more of the, um, the sense of transgression of our own deeply held moral beliefs and expectations. Um, and I think really what it means is we know what the right thing to do is, but because of constraints outside of our control, we can't make that happen. And it, it, it really starts to get to um, a sense of our identity. It's not just that we know what the right thing to do is and we're uncomfortable because we can't do it, but it starts to get at who we are. And can I still be the good physician I imagined that I would be as I went into this career if I continue to practice in this way? Does technology contribute to moral injuries being suffered by physicians, for example, electronic medical record systems or social media? There's no question that electronic medical records have changed, I think, the fundamental relationship between clinicians and patients. They, um, what I've heard over and over again, and in fact, it comes up in one of the chapters in my book, is how can I expect my patients to trust me when I can't even look them in the eye? When I spend half of my appointment with them staring at a screen, clicking out, you know, clicking boxes. Um, and, and I don't find that that electronic medical record adds enough value to my care to justify the interruption in the relationship I'm building with my patients. When I started practicing, the majority of physicians either work for themselves or for an entity owned by physicians. Today, that's just not true. Uh, stats say that up to 75% of physicians work for an entity that is wholly owned or operated by, by non-physicians. Does this set the stage for moral injuries? I think it, it has the potential to. There are, there are ways that we can, um, that such non-physician owned organizations can create a non-morally injurious environment. But what that requires is an intention of including clinicians in the decision-making that happens in those organizations. 
So if they invite nurses and physicians and others to the table and ask them, here's what we're thinking about. What will that do to your practice? And then take those take those responses into account, take that feedback into account when they make their decisions. I think it's possible to create a non-morally injurious organization. But in our experience, physician-owned practices, physician-run hospitals or departments in hospitals are much more likely to be non-morally injurious or morally centered. I fear that there could be somebody listening um, that is a little confused on a on a moral injury. Can you give a concrete example uh, just to put the rest of our conversation in context? Oh, absolutely. Um, so there are so many, um, but one of the ones that I heard recently was a physician who diagnosed a patient with a potentially life-threatening condition. They immediately ordered the evidence-based treatment for that condition and then had to wait for the insurer to authorize the treatment. That took weeks. And in the meantime, the patient got worse. When the patient then needed hospitalization, the hospital said, oops, we don't do that thing that the patient now needs because it doesn't reimburse well enough. So you need to send that patient 60 minutes away. So the physician knew exactly what the patient needed the day they were in the office, they ordered it. And because of constraints outside of their control, they couldn't in a timely way, get the patient, the care they needed. They watched, they knew what was going to happen. They could predict and yet they couldn't stop it. So they watch patients suffer and nothing they can do has any impact on the trajectory of that patient's care. Many physicians are compensated by RVUs, relative value units, which is kind of like doing piecework. Uh, does this form of compensation devalue the profession and cause moral injuries? I've heard this argued from both directions. So I've heard it, <laughs> I've heard people say that um, it, it is piecework and that we're really just factory workers, um, not, to, not to demean factory workers, but it's a different way of thinking about the profession. Um, I've also heard people say, well, when you've got a base salary and a bonus structure, that sounds like an executive. So it depends on how you look at it um, because it, it's our form of productivity. Uh, I think we could argue all day whether that's whether RVUs are in the best interest of our patients. And I think in the end, we would probably come down to there may be better ways to approach our compensation. Boards of medicine set professional and ethical standards for the practice of medicine. Why have boards of medicine failed to provide systemic protection for physicians? I think, I think boards of medicine are trying their best to create a, to, to ensure patient safety. What I think they've forgotten is that in order to ensure patient safety, they also need to ensure physician safety. 
in hospitals. So what we what we have failed to take into account are the inordinate pressures and the inordinate responsibilities that are rolling down to physicians without commensurate authority and latitude. And I think once medical boards, if medical boards were able to do a few things like um, changing their relicensing credentialing requirements and asking the questions, you know, not asking the questions of, have you ever had a, a mental health condition, but do you have one that is impairing you now? That's one thing that they could do. The other thing that they could do is to take a broader lens and say, what are the conditions that are underlying the physician's practice in this hospital? What is the environment that is causing the stressors that may be driving this clinician's or this physician's behavior? So do we have, for example, do we have a toxic work environment? And could that potentially be a mitigating factor in our decision? Medicine's both an art and a science. At present, does our health system over, overweight one over the other? I think we have, when you look at professionalism, and professional by professionalism, I mean our profession's promise to society, not, not whether we dress right or have tattoos. And when you look at the pillars of professionalism, you have technical competence, ethical and, and moral um, teaching, human development. Um, and we have, and, and cultural competence. And we have, over the past several years, decades even, we have focused more and more and more on the technical side of it, trusting that we will somehow by osmosis gain the other three. But in fact, what's happening is the more we focus on that technical competence, the more the other three are sidelined. And so I feel like at some point the pendulum needs to swing back a bit so that as we start training the younger physicians who are coming up, we, we make sure that we include those other pillars of professionalism so that we don't lose what we know to be our promise to society and we don't lose the sense of us ourselves as a profession. At this point in the conversation, I admit feeling bleak. Can you give me some hope? Are, are there viable <laughs> solutions to the, the problems we're discussing, uh, Dr. Dean? Please, give me a ray of hope. <laughs> so, so there is no way that I would have spent 12 hours a day, seven days a week, for 18 months writing a book if I didn't believe that there was hope. I really do think that there is. But the first place we need to start is with all of us coming together to speak with one voice. Physicians have a long history of splintering their energies. And I think we really need to find a way to come together with a collective unified voice there are only a million of us, only a million. And if we fracture that voice at all, then we won't be heard. 
So that's the first place that we start. Um, there, the, the bad news is that healthcare is really broken. The great news is that it's really broken. So we can start fixing it anywhere and it's going to get better. And so I would encourage anybody who's listening to say, you know what, this is the thing I'm really passionate about. This, this makes me curious. I'm going to run down that rabbit hole. I'm going to learn everything I can. And then I'm going to find my coalition. I'm going to build a coalition. And it doesn't necessarily just have to be with physicians. It can be with lawyers, with patients, with nurses, but find the people who think like you, who have stories you can tell, build your data, and then go educate people about why we need change. You mentioned the book, and, and we've been talking about um, topics covered in the book, but I explicitly want to state, again, the title, if I betray these words, moral injury in medicine and why it's so hard for clinicians to put patients first, uh, for whom is the book written? Everyone. I intentionally wrote it so that it would be accessible both to clinicians and to patients. Because I think we all need to know not only where we are in medicine right now, but how we got here. Because once we know, you know, it's sort of like once we know how we built this house, we know how we can renovate it. And so my intention was to help everybody understand why medicine is so hard right now and what we can do to improve it legislatively, policy wise regulations wise, what do we need to ask for to make it better? You spoke of the, the fracture of the, uh, the profession and, and I'm interested are different ages of physicians and or specialties of medicine more or less likely to suffer moral injuries. I honestly, we haven't found that to be the case. So I have talked to pediatricians, primary care docs, obstetricians, orthopedic surgeons. They all resonate with this language. And it, it doesn't seem as though, it, it, it does seem as though the youngest clinicians, sort of residency, they don't quite have the same framework to hang this language on. Um, they haven't had quite the same transition of responsibility. And so they are becoming more familiar with the concept, but it really hits home a few years after they've been out in practice. But then we don't notice any difference between, say, two or three years in practice. And I mean, I've, I've talked to many clinicians who are 30 years into their careers who say, this is what they've experienced. Perhaps that just speaks to how broken the system is. I think it has changed a lot. And I think as healthcare has consolidated and vertically integrated, the physician voice in particular has gotten drowned out. And yet it hasn't come with a commensurate decrease in responsibility. So we have this, we have a massive system making decisions for us for which we're responsible without a voice in those, how those decisions are made. As our time together comes comes to a close, I'm interested in what projects you're working on and, and what the 
the future looks like um, from from your perspective? Well, um, first, we're working on building data because <laughs> when we wrote our first article in 2018, um, it was a thought experiment. We actually didn't expect this level of resonance to happen. So we put it out as just who else thinks this way? And it turns out a lot of people, 300,000 or more, <laughs> um, downloaded the article and shared it with their friends. So we have spent the last five years characterizing the concept and we're now building data about who, where, where do we see moral injury in healthcare? From there, we're beginning to build the, the concepts of, all right, what, what do solutions look like? And we're starting to work with organizations to implement some of those changes. But these are, it's still early days. Um, the audience for our podcast are uh, physician executives, healthcare leaders, um, many of whom I believe are going to be interested in, in your work, Dr. Dean. Uh, how may they reach you? They can either... Probably the easiest way to reach me is on the website, fixmoralinjury.org, and the contact form will come directly to me. And there's Excellent. also, there's information there about our podcast and our book and a lot of resources that could keep you busy for months. And may just do that for some of our audience. <laughs> One more time on the, uh, the uh, web address. Fixmoralinjury.org. My guest has been Dr. Wendy Dean. Dr. Dean, thank you so much for your time and for your good work on behalf of the profession. Thank you. I appreciate it. My deep thanks to Dr. Wendy Dean. Her efforts in starting and advancing the conversation of moral injuries to physicians is a service to the medical profession. Dr. Dean is a true physician leader. My thanks also to the American Association for Physician Leadership for making this podcast possible. Please join me next time on Sound Practice. We release a new episode every other Wednesday. Bada bing, bada bada bing, bada You've been listening to Sound Practice, the business podcast for physicians and healthcare leaders. Check out the show notes for this episode at soundpracticepodcast.com. If you have any suggestions for future episodes, we'd love to hear them. Email us at info at soundpracticepodcast.com. Subscribe to Sound Practice wherever you listen to podcasts so you can automatically receive our episodes. And please rate us and comment on the podcast in iTunes and Google Play. Sound Practice is presented and produced by the team at American Association for Physician Leadership. We are the world's premier organization for all aspects of physician leadership in every sector of healthcare. Learn more at physicianleaders.org. Robin. Rick Kapow.